from Marital, the three greatest John Africa podcasts on the planet, are doing a joint episode in which we um, are meeting in person. I'm Winslow Robertson from Cowards and Rice, and I'm Artin from Sino Africa Center of Excellence Foundation, says podcast. Excellent. And we are here in Nairobi in an event somewhat hosted by uh, the SACE Foundation, um, the Chinese and African African China Research Network annual conference. And we have just had a whirlwind, not just one, many sessions devoted to media interpretations of the China African relationship. And that is a topic that seems to generate the most discussion, the most insights, the most comments. And I'm wondering what we here have, have thought about that so far. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why it's so such a media media um, supported, media driven kind of thing is that it, the relationship developed at the same moment as mass media really exploded. You know, so it's a 21st century phenomenon that is highly mediated because that is how 21st century massive phenomena work. Um, so. You know, the fact that there is a state-to-state state or like a state of many states relationship in China and Africa means there's also multiple media kind of coverage of it. You know, but it kind of comes part of a package deal. And also, the, there is no, or there's, there's very little, um, uh, you know, kind of like easy organic kind of link between China and Africa. But the places are far apart, so they, you know, kind of they haven't, it's not, it's not like the Middle East and Europe, for example, which has been like back and forth, you know, kind of forever. It, so the media media kind of relationship becomes even more important because it, it, it's carrying so much more. Yeah, and also agree it becoming more interesting because everyone can be the material provider. So, for example, like SACE Foundation have been doing like podcasts, we write articles to publish on our own social media channels and also um, like newspaper, um, TV, televisions. Um, and I believe that a lot of, for example, Africans in China, they tweet about China, they um, even, for example, like Facebook about China. So everyone everyone kind of like express what they feel about China Africa to the rest of the people who are not involved with Chinese China Africa yet. And that's why it becomes so interesting because we get so many different interpretation of one single phenomenon or one um, incident happening. Um, and how to tell which is like they are all perceptions. There are no truth or wrong. There are no truth or lie about it. But how to distinguish which is the best to take from one's own perspective? It's it's a very interesting like kind of struggle for everyone. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm I'm kind of curious ab about what both of you think about the idea of an underlying narrative that um, in, during these discussions there's a. Chinese narrative or a Chinese model for journalism. There's a Western narrative about China-Africa relations. There's various different sorts of African narratives. And I'm wondering what, what you think about that idea of, of a narrative and how strongly defined they are in terms of analyzing China-Africa. I'm quite interested in trying to break down those narratives. Um, I feel that both from frequently from the side of different Chinese players as well as the side of, of, of different Western players, there is frequently a kind of stereotyping of what Chinese media narratives are, and like what the Chinese model of media production is. Um, I would like it to be a lot more 
complicated. I want you know all the complexities to be reflected a lot more. Could you elaborate on some of those complexities? Well, in the first place, you know, frequently the Chinese media narrative on Africa is conflated with the Chinese the narrative coming from the Chinese state media on Africa. There's lots of other Chinese media happening in relation to Africa, including private media corporations and right down to individuals, you know, Instagramming. You know, kind of like there's there's lots and lots of different Chinese media narratives about Africa. And also all of the other sides, you know, there's lots of different Western narratives about Africa, lots of different African narratives about Africa and China. So I, you know, kind of we need to be a lot more nuanced, I think, in, in, in breaking down these narratives. I believe that in reporting everything, there's a spectrum. So for example, in China, Africa, there's a spectrum of like, super anti-China, super pro-China, super anti-Western, um, and super pro-Western. Um, and I believe in China, Africa, there are so many different spectrums that one can stand on. Um, and w the categorization of like China model, um, Western model, kind of like polarized the spectrum. So it makes everyone need to choose between A or B instead of in a middle of A or B. So it, it kind of like decreased the diversity and decreased the interestingness, like the, the interesting elements of of different kinds of perceptions. Um, so that's why I also agree that we shouldn't have this kind of like China model, Western model. Rather, we should analyze different things from more a spectrum perspective. And I'm curious as to what what kind of evidence should scholars be using, not just in this discussion, but in other discussions for breaking down these narratives, and what sort of evidence do folks, do scholars sometimes miss? Um, in, in particular, one of the things I find interesting is there's a lack of understanding in terms of the Chinese media markets and the stakeholders involved, as well as in um, American or, or British media markets, um, the role of money and the role of power, and I'm wondering what, what you think about that. Or, or, or even Kenyan media markets, because Arting, you're in Kenya. You, you, you read the papers. Um, so actually, I you, you mean the evidence that we want to analyze the media markets? Mm -hmm. um, for scholars, I am a very data person, and I believe the foundation itself is also a very data-oriented research institute. So uh, for example, for our research on the labor relations between Chinese companies and um, African communities, we do a lot of data thing. And I believe the same should be applied to media research that coupled with um, more uh, qualitative analysis of the backgrounds. But um, I believe that data can speak strongest um, thing about what's happening now because now the media has been, like it's, it's mass media era. Um, there are so many different information, like so many like different information that happening in the markets and how to analyze them in a more mass production method. I think data would be the best way. I think it's also important for scholars to spend time in different different areas. You know, kind of to the 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 real way to know how how complicated the Chinese media is is by spending time in China. Um, and then, of course, language ability becomes incredibly important. Um, the, the scholars here who speak Chinese fluently and who read Chinese frequently have a much 
more complicated, more complex view of what's going on in Chinese media. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's similar to Western media. Like, you know, people who are immersed in Western media know that Western media is very, very complicated with lots of, lots of different players. Um, and I would love to see the same level of sophistication brought to African media. Because African media is exploding in this massive amounts of it. Um, you know, we're in Kenya now, you know, kind of when you switch on the TV at night, it's just channel after channel, you know, kind of there's, there's, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of flows from lots of places, not only from China and, and the West, but from India, from, you know, kind of from the Middle East, and so on. It's so, um, uh, you know, I'm, I come from South Africa. South Africa is a, is a massive regional media you know, production hub. Um, South Africa's pumping images of itself and the rest of the world into the rest of the continent. So I think it's really important for scholars to unpack all of that, you know, kind of to not be blind to it um, and to, to take all of that complexity into account. And I also agree a lot about, like, the language sensitivity, because a lot of, has, for example, Ambassador Shu Zhan has mentioned about a word of, uh, of African agency. So in China, a lot of scholars translate it into like Feijou Daili, which means African agents. And it, it's kind of like contrary, it, it, it's not even relevant to agency. Um, but when people really look at the context, like read the original language, the English, and then understand the context, they know what it means. Otherwise, a lot of Chinese officials in China, they just like, why should we find the agents when dealing with Africa? But actually, people are talking about Africa making its own decision. So I think that's a very important point of it. And how, like, I think a lot of analysis or research needs to be done towards the African media, because some medias are in Swahili and different uh, local languages that we are, do not have full understanding of. Uh, and for example, the uh, I think like a month ago, there was a there were piece of news in a local small local newspaper in Kenya about Chinese people uh, exporting human meat to the Kenyan markets. And actually the sources are unclear, um, but we need to understand why this kind of news are, becomes popular in Kenya and what kind of narrative they take to picture China. And it, it's one of the things that for me is, is really interesting. A lot of the research that's done, it, it's really hard to do. It requires a language and a, and a knowledge of culture um, and a knowledge of structure that takes a long time and in, in other countries. And, and we ask a lot of China Africa scholars in terms of doing that. This kind of research is, I believe, unusually difficult in terms of being able to bridge those sorts of, those sorts of gaps. And I want to flip this. I want to talk about what story have you seen recently that you thought was, felt was really good? And that if you were to give a presentation, and, and Dr. Van Sutton already gave a presentation, but if you were... If you were to give a, a presentation, what kind of positive story have you seen from the Chinese side or from a Kenyan side or from the US side or from India? It's difficult to say. One that immediately jumps up, and this, this is maybe just because this is what I'm really interested in in my, in my own research, but there was recently a great story carried in Quartz magazine, I believe, simply collecting old kung fu posters that were painted on on African movie houses um, from the 70s. And it was just such a, an amazing collection of art in the first place. It's so visual. But it also is so evocative in terms of not only the 
not only the complexities of the connection between China and Africa, but also and the, Chi the larger Chinese world in Af and Africa, because a lot of those came from Hong Kong, but also the, the nature of how this kind of media played into the Africans having fun. You know, kind of so, 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 so little of China-Africa relations has to do with anything but, you know, kind of like very kind of top-down views of development, or you know, um, or other kinds of views where where African daily life kind of disappears off the table. Um, and you know, this this kind of locating of those international flows, these kind of currents of of culture traveling from Asia to Africa, but locating it in an African daily life, I thought was great. I think the stories I like most are two that um, talking about the same phenomenon of Africans returning from China to Africa. One is by CNN, the other one is by Quartz, um, um, by by Lily. Um, and why I like it is not Lily um, Quartz, okay. yeah. Um, why I like it is not like it pictures like positive relations between China and Africa. It's like it talks about things really neutrally and it gives people. Um, space to think about why this phenomena happen. It might be like discrimination happening in China, and it might be they're increasing Chinese investment in Africa, so that Chinese trade, uh, African traders do not need to travel to China to do that, or an emergence of e-commerce platform to cut off this middleman and all these travels back and forth. So I like the story because they talk about um, quite a few individuals, the Africans, they go to China first looking for fortune and then they come back um, due to a variety of reasons, not just one reason. Um, so I like this kind of stories. Tremendous. I was going to quote, uh, I was going to reference the uh, CNN story about Jenny Marsh about returnees and I was delighted to see that um, Jenny Marsh who who I found her um, writing on the South China Morning Post about African communities in China. And I'm so happy to see a, a platform that a lot of Americans are more familiar with to talk about this story. You know, there, there are good things that get out there. I'm going to flip the script a little bit. And I'm going to ask you, you guys create media and you create narratives yourselves. And I'm wondering how, how that fits in to this sort of discussion. Let's say in five years when a graduate student is studying the SACE podcast or the China Africa Project Facebook page, what would you want to tell them about what you've done and what you hope to do? And have you seen people maybe not use this information the way you anticipated? Um, on our side, uh, answering your second question first, like it, you know, not uh, we haven't really seen people using it in, in ways that we disapprove of or that, that alarm us. Um, you know, just... We, we, we have, it is a kind of a space for quite kind of robust back and forth, you know, and that is kind of what it, what, what it is designed for, that, that, you know, it is designed as a space where people can discuss China-Africa issues with no holds barred. And, you know, people have been doing that, and that's, that's great. Um, what I think, uh, you know, kind of what we, what we try and do is to try and, and, and broaden the conversation across as many platforms as people find useful. So I think we passed a time when when a single platform can serve can serve a wide audience comprehensively. You need to find your audiences on different platforms, and you need to engage with them in different kinds of ways. Um, and that is that has been our kind of um, challenge and both our, our method, I think, to try and 
and devise ways where we can speak with with different audiences on different platforms at the same time, um, and that you know, kind of, we would like in the future we would like to expand that, you know, and try to expand those those number of audiences as well. Um. And for, and for us, we are particularly interested in entrepreneurship. So our podcast, our podcast start with two um, African entrepreneurs who have studied and working experience in China. So they share about how they start, how they get the inspiration, how they start their businesses. And actually, although we have been digressing a little bit because a lot of conferences we have been, um, but now we want to look more into um, entre uh, African entrepreneurship in here, um, how they are transforming the continents. And I think one thing we really want to do is to break the misperception of Chinese, a lot of Chinese, like the majority Chinese public, because when they talk about Africa, it's lions, it's wildebeest, it's mi great migration, or hunger, or doing volunteer work. But we want to overturn this and let them know there are actually so many good startups in Kenya, in Nairobi, that they're transforming the continents. And not only in Nairobi, in Mauritius, in Joburg, um, these young Africans, they are doing so much amazing work. And a lot of them are actually inspired by their study trip, their um, their contacts, their communications with China. So I think this will be a very good topic to increase the communication from both sides. Fascinating. Last question: If you were to be, if you were to actually be a professional media company, if China Africa Project was an actual company, if say the podcast, I know you guys make money, but if but if your product was just the podcast, what would you change in terms of generating revenue or would would you keep it the same i mean you know how some of these different media markets operate and in, in, in the u.s generally americans like to hear negative stories about china i, I wish that wasn't the case but it sells what about you guys it's a difficult question to answer because we're at the moment we're looking at how to expand the project uh and you know kind of what would be the best way to do it what i think um the the one way, just as a, as a general general kind of um, ballpark answer that I could give is that we would want to continue the use of of um, of experts. But you know, kind of a lot of, of what what we do is we build bridges between academia and the rest of the world, uh, because you know ac academic work tends to be locked in a vault. Uh, you know, you you need uh, you need usually you need to have some kind of affiliation with the university in order to get to it because they they are within they're behind expensive paywalls and you need to join journals and it costs thousands of dollars and so on. So, um, so uh, you know, kind of to draw the work of academics out into the world um, and to to create a dialogue between academia and the rest of the world is is part of what we do. And um, you know, so that is something that we would probably would like to to extend over a wider range of topics. Um, so that is probably the direction that we would like to move in. Um, I have been believing that making the most important thing about making money is to sell what you are best in. We are not very good at like um, carving stories according to the market's taste, which is a lot of like medias have been doing. But we are good at data analytics. So if we are going to make money out of the podcast project, it might be we will do what we are doing. We we pick the topics that we think that can best transform 
the landscape of China Africa, and then we utilize the data we get, the audience, their, their preference on which podcast we, we have produced, and their feedback, and to provide kind of like advisory or um, thought leadership pieces to um, sell to people who may need this market information. Um, I guess that's a better way to utilize it instead of kind of like biasing, biasing the audience with contents that people pay money to create. Um, we are about done, and we got to get back out to the another panel. So, could you tell the folks how they can find you on the internet? Um, I'm on Twitter at Stadnesq, that's S-T-A-D-N-E-S-Q-U-E, and also at the China Africa Project. So we are all over the web. We are ChinaAfricaProject.com, um, Facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject. You'll find us there. Um, you can follow us by um, Twitter, Facebook, and WeChat, both at the name of SACE Foundation, and also log into our website, www.saysfoundation.org. Excellent. And I can be found on Twitter. My uh, handle is at Winslow underscore R. And I have a website, www.calorieswrites.com. And my other podcast co-host and your podcast co-host, unfortunately, couldn't join us. Uh, but if you want to continue the discussion, that's where I can be found. And I think we have just made this in time. So thank you so very much for thank doing this much. spectacular triple podcast. <laughs>